I let's see on Friday we went to the mall yes and we went to this like really big mall with like all of the designer stores in the bottom like they had I didn't realize this when we were going but they had like Gucci Dior Valentino like the whole nine and that was the first level and then the second level was like a movie theater and like all the regular like normal people stores not the ones and it was very fancy. They had like a bazillion places to eat. And then across the street, they also had like an outdoor like mall situation. So Jeez. it was just like extra stores. It was so fun. I wore Chris out. He was so <laughs> exhausted by the end. Never stop a girl when she's at a mall, man. I was in the <clears throat> I was in the zone. My powers were at full capacity. Auto zone. <laughs> yes. I, it My was powers just like, are at full capacity. <laughs> she like, was like that star that rainbow star in mario kart hello everyone and welcome to the show i'm blair and i'm kirsten and we are mediocre content and I'm going to apologize in advance. I'm still recovering from the illness, the ick, if you will. So I probably sound gross. Yes. The listener <coughs> won't know, but no. we have actually not recorded for like two weeks because oh, yes. it's just been a wild ride. I'm telling you, the freaking fall literally does my entire body in, <laughs> not in a good way. <laughs> yeah. Fall is not your season. It is not, which is funny because spring is not Tyler's season. Like he got really sick in the spring with his allergies. Mm-hmm. This one just, I guess we're just going to trade every year. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be. Uh, anyway, I'm alive. We're alive. Exactly. And you listener are none the wiser. Anything yeah. Was you wrong. have no idea unless we told you, <laughs> which we just outed ourselves. Oh, we, uh, yes. <laughs> we needed the break though. Plus. Yeah. To be fair, mediocre content isn't mediocre content unless we have like technical problems, which was the other issue <laughs> we've yeah. been experiencing recently. Truly, I I don't know what it is, man. I think we just have some bad juju. We need to like sage ourselves or something. <laughs> or it's just part of us now and it's just yeah. an acceptance situation. That's true. That could also be it. Definitely. Yeah. But this also means uh, I... I also feel bad because this also means we haven't had stream in two weeks. Um, But I think, uh, I don't know if at the time of this pod, I think the stream should have already happened. Um, So next week after this one comes out, hang out with us, I think, on stream. Yes, definitely. Sure. At the time of the recording of this, though, we are trying to get back to we're, stream. <laughs> yeah, we're still struggling with that. <laughs> but before I die out, um, because inevitably I will start to shut down very soon <laughs> with all the illnesses, I say we disclaim. Yes. Um, <clears throat> so obviously you guys know we are not experts on anything. If you've come th- to this podcast to get any kind of advice, including medical, because clearly we're not very good at that right now. <laughs> clearly. Um, we are not the place for that, but we are the place to learn about things that, you know, you may not already know about. So we encourage you to do your own research and interact with us. Let us know if we've gotten anything wrong, because that's very possible. And with that, <clears throat> excuse me, I will take us into the good news. So excited. 
So um, zero waste is what we're going to be talking about with the first good news. So a tiny Greek island has undergone a green revolution, becoming energy self-sufficient and permanently closing its landfill site. Oh, wow. Yes. And it's the first zero waste island. Hmm. Um, Quote, I already believe that nowhere else will match the quality of life I've experienced here in Tilos, says Emmanuel Antonio Ferratas. Fotaras. Yeah. Yes. Um, one of 745 residents living on a small Greek island located between roads and coasts. Hmm. <clears throat> um, so the changes have been vast. Before the project began, the island sent 87% of its waste to landfill, and now 100% of it is diverted from the dump. Oh. The scheme has proved such a success that the island no longer has any rubbish bins and the landfill site has now completely closed. Um, In their place is a center for creative upcycling where items can either be repaired, reused, or or turned into raw art supplies or building material. Hmm. The project was overseen and paid for by Polygreen, a Greek company that specializes in circular economics economy solutions, but much of their success came through education. Mm. Um, They began by setting up an information center in the port so residents could learn about how to sort their waste into three categories, recyclable, um, which would include like paper, plastic, metal, aluminum, and glass, organic waste, um, food, fruit, or vegetable peels, stones, and bones. Interesting. Stones? Stones and (laughs) bones. Yeah. And non-recyclable materials like soiled paper and personal items such as razors and masks. Each household was given its own zero waste equipment, including boxes for recycling and non-recycling waste, um, a bag for organic waste, and a box for cigarette butts. That's very specific. (laughs) It is. Regular door-to-door collections were then implemented across the island. A smartphone app monitored real-time information to show the poly to show Polygreen how much had been recycled, and quote the project has bought about brought about a transformative, positive change that has had a profound impact on the, both the environment and the local community," says Mayor Maria Kama Alaferi. Uh, waste management and recycling initiatives had been have been enhanced, leading to a reduction in plastic and other non-biodegradable waste. This has not only beautified the island's landscape, but also protected its delicate ecosystems and marine life. Nice. Yeah. Um, let's see. So... As a protected national park, the 63-square-kilometer island is an important site for falcons, long-legged buzzards, and a number of migratory bird species. Um, And the birds use Telos as a stopover between Africa and Europe. Oh, nice. Um, Its environmental progress also um, could also provide a blueprint blueprint for cleaner and greener future to humankind as well. Nice. Um, and they've created new job opportunities related to renewable energy installation, ecotourism, and sustainable agriculture. Um, and it has brought an influx of environmentally conscious visitors to the island, boosting local business. Nice. So um, 
yeah, any visitors to the island also have to take part in this particular movement as well. Hotels have special um, equipment for separating rubbish and tourists can pick up cloth bags for shopping from the Zero Point Information Center. I think that's fantastic. I agree. Um, although it is like a small amount of people, so it's right. probably like easier to implement this on a larger scale would be <clears throat> a lot. I think it's a good start. I think so too. I also think that like it's difficult to... At least here in the States, I know that there are some places that, you know, they have recycle bins and things like that, but the plants just receive so much stuff that it's often not always recycled appropriately or at all. Right. <laughs> in addition, I think things like, I think it's interesting that this article specifically states that things can be like restored, like returned and restored. Uh -huh. And I imagine things like appliances or, you know, electronics and things like that, that often go to waste because at least again, in a lot of countries and maybe, you know, specifically the States as well, things aren't really made to last anymore. They're kind of made right. to continue cycling through them. Right. You don't and take so your blender to the blender repair. Right. Just get a new blender. Exactly. And I think those services have kind of either died out or become obsolete because um, the uh, economy is at least from their view, better stimulated by just having people continue to buy new improved or better things in the market, even though they're not really designed to be newer or better. Mm -hmm. Just a just a marketing tactic. So I think it would be super cool to have, you know, repair as opposed to just like buying new all the time. I agree. Also, everybody, Jinx has entered the chat. So I know. He's if he, savage if over you there. hear any like weird noises, it's because <laughs> he's like rubbing up against my microphone once again. <laughs> it's his podcast after all. And he's late. He is late. Mm. Okay. <clears throat> so wild horses is our next topic. Ooh, so um, excited. <laughs> I know. I'm so excited. So as the summer heat wave continues to bake Europe, obviously this article was not recently because it is currently <laughs> winter, but that's yeah. neither here nor there. Um, devastating wildfires are raging in Greece, Spain, Switzerland, and elsewhere. With high temperatures set to continue, more blazes are likely. So free roaming horses might seem like an unlikely helper in this in this situation. Um, yet ecologists believe that our equine friends could play a role in mitigating wildfire risk in the future. Jinx. Please hold. Please hold. <laughs> this is about horses, not My cats. God. Okay. <laughs> Come here. He is getting removed from chat. Bye, baby. <laughs> and he's gone. He'll be back. Yes. Um, <clears throat> okay. So in May, the conservation organization Rewilding Spain introduced a herd of 10 uh, Przewalski's horses to the Iberian Highlands. Hmm. Ancient cave paintings in the area suggest that horses similar to the Przewalski's um, and I'm sorry if I'm butchering that name. There's like way too many consonants. I think you for nailed my, it. For my liking. Um, <laughs> uh, an endangered subspecies of wild horse uh, roamed the region over 4,000 years ago. And now they're back. Nice. So um, having gone extinct in native Europe and Asia, 
Um, they were successfully reintroduced to the steppes of Mongolia and other sites from European zoos. Um, returning them to the Iberian highlands could be a major boon for the species. Um, and confined to a 17 hectare, which is similar to an acre mm-hmm. enclosure um, since their arrival, Spain's reintroduced horses will soon be free to roam around more than 5,700 acres of public forest with a diet comprising of vast quantities of grass and leaves from shrubbery trees the horses will introduce the volume of combustible or will reduce i'm sorry not introduce reduce the volume of combustible vegetation in the landscape which conservationists will say will slow wildfires seems logical yeah Uh, For centuries, the Iberian highlands were grazed both by sheep and various species of horse, including the Serrano horse, which was used for threshing and other agricultural jobs, but allowed to roam freely when not working. Hmm. The decline of traditional agriculture led to rural depopulation and land abandonment, and the loss of grazing saw the landscape become overgrown with a bunch of vegetation that continues to be more intense and faster spreading, which allows for the wildfires. That makes sense. Um, So the horses will also enhance biodiversity as the animals graze and browse. um, As the animals graze and browse, they will create half open, half wooded landscapes that favor scavenging species such as vultures and carnivores, um, such as the Iberian lynx. Um, Their dung will also enrich the soil, which is gross, but true. (laughs) because they poop (laughs) because they poop um this is just the latest in a series of interventions taking place around the world to harness the positive impacts of grazing mammals on wildfire prone landscapes um in health an outer suburb of dublin ireland are endangered are an endangered breed of native goats that have been reintroduced in response to the regular wildfires we love goats love goats um, so the horses get a new uh, get a new home in the Iberian Highlands, um, and while ten horses won't make much of an impact on their own, rewilding Spain plans to increase their numbers in the future. Um, "Quote: We are looking forward to seeing how the animals interact with the larger landscape," says rewilding Spain team leader Pablo Shapira. Um, Ten individuals is a good number to start the new population, especially since this is a social group. So nice, very exciting, very exciting. Um, and I think that's all I have. That's awesome. I think that's great. I've, I've also seen like an influx of TikTok videos of people using goats to trim their yard as well, mm-hmm. which I think is fantastic. So this makes perfect sense why the horses would also be a big help and a big factor in all of that. Yes. Amazing. <clears throat> well, um, we're going to talk about, as our main topic, uh, something that I feel has been in like world history class since the beginning of time. <laughs> it's like, true. At least for states, kids. Um, everybody has some kind of segment on the Great Wall of China at some point in your uh, schooling, I guess. <laughs> So it's true. Yeah. Realistically, 
I feel like when I was doing the research for this, it wasn't necessarily that all of this was new information. It was just like, oh my gosh, I totally forgot about that. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. you know, Yeah. but I was also not a history buff. Like if you asked me dates and things, I was not the person. Um, terrible with numbers, terrible with timelines, but now I'm going to give you all of those things. So <laughs> here we go. Uh, so we start um, in the fifth century BC and many of the fortifications included in the Great Wall of China date from hundreds of years even earlier when China was divided into a number of individual kingdoms during the so-called Warring States period. So around 220 BC, Chen Shi Huang, the first emperor of a unified China under the Chen Dynasty, ordered that earlier fortifications between states should be removed and a number of existing walls that were along that northern border should be joined into one single system that would extend for more than 10,000 li. Um, and they say that a li is about one third of a mile in terms of comparison. Don't ask me how many miles that is. I did not do the conversion. So <laughs> you have the Fair. math. <laughs> Yeah. you can do it. Um, and this, at least from the emperor's point of view, was to protect China against attacks from the north at the time. So construction of the Wan Li Cheng Xing, or the 10,000 Li Long Wall, was one of the most ambitious building projects ever undertaken by any civilization of the time. The famous Chinese general Ming Shen initially directed the project and was said to have used a massive army of soldiers, convicts, and commoners as workers on the wall. Made mostly of earth and stone, the wall stretched from the China seaport of Shanghai Guan over 3,000 miles west into Gansu province. And in some strategic areas, sections of that wall would even overlap for maximum security, including the Badaling stretch, which is north of Beijing, and that was later restored during the Ming Dynasty. From a base of 15 to 50 feet, the Great Wall rose some 15 to 30 feet high and was topped by ramparts 12 feet or higher, and there were guard towers distributed at intervals along the wall itself. When Emperor uh, Chen Shi Huang ordered construction of the Great Wall around that 221 BC era, uh, time frame, the labor force that built the wall was made up largely of those soldiers and convicts, and it is said that as many as 400,000 people died during the wall's construction, many of them being buried in the wall itself, which is kind of creepy and sad. That is really creepy. <clears throat> but it is... Very true. And I remember learning about that in our history class as well. <laughs> you might Not already quite. touch on this, but is it similar to the pyramids where it's like a lot of it is slave labor? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, a lot of from what and the other thing is too, like it's not like people were volunteering. You were voluntold to ah, to go work on this of wall. Course. Um so yeah, a lot of people didn't have a lot of say and also ended up just being part of the uh the the monument itself. Fair. So, uh through the centuries though, um obviously at some point uh Chen Shi Huang did end up dying, which 
ended the Qin dynasty in China. And unfortunately, this also meant that most of the wall fell in disrepair because it wasn't being maintenanced after that. Mm. And after that fall, it wasn't until the Han dynasty that a series of frontier tribes would in fact seize control of northern China, the most powerful being the Northern Wei dynasty that ended up repairing and then extending what existed still of the wall to defend against attacks from the other tribes so just to clarify Mm -hmm. are we saying that they finished and built the entire wall Mm -hmm. and then after one emperor died Mm -hmm. most of it was kind of yucky yeah and then now this new guy takes over Mm -hmm. and only some of it is salvageable so it was longer and now it's shorter it's even more complicated because it's not even a continuous wall is the other thing. Oh, okay. So so we say the great wall, there's actually only one section that actually is considered one continuous stretch of wall. But if you're looking at it uh, in terms, like if you were looking at it on a map, you would basically see breaks in it um, throughout. And so some of those, from from what I understand, some of those areas were never re-repaired or restored. Okay. They're just left to decompose over time okay yeah even newer emperors after that time didn't do the whole wall from what i understand okay uh and then from 550 to 577 the bay chi kingdom i am so sorry also for pronunciation i'm doing my best um they built or repaired about 900 miles of the wall itself but it was um short-lived unfortunately (laughs) because Mm -hmm. then it's like the kingdoms and the dynasties each would go through time and start repairing certain sections and then dying out and then a new king or emperor would come along or a new dynasty would start and they're like oh we should maybe take it you know put attention here and then they're like that we're gonna do this and then they die (laughs) you know so it was kind of like in this constant state of slight repairs and then a new dynasty with new ideas and new um priorities would come along and like that would kind of be the problem so like the beichi uh kingdom from 550 to uh 577 they did that 900 mile stretch and then there was a short-lived Sioux uh, dynasty, 581 to 618, that also would then repair and start extending a little bit of the wall throughout the dynasty itself. So not even in a continuous fashion. Gotcha. Okay. After the fall of the Sioux dynasty, the rise of the Tang dynasty um, kind of eliminated the importance of the wall as fortification because at that time China had defeated what was the Tuzhou tribe to the north which was again the original quoted reason for building it in the first place Mm -hmm. and so they actually expanded past the original frontier that was the original stopping point of the wall so beyond the wall was also now protected um and was no longer a threat of being undertaken. So they were like, well, what do we need this wall for? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> like, right. It's kind of unnecessary. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So during that dynasty, wall wasn't really a, a, as big a priority. 
During the Song Dynasty, thereafter, the Chinese were forced to withdraw under threat from uh, Liao and the Jin people to the north again. So now we're, again, a resurgence of conflict and threat. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So this time, uh, those tribes took over many of the areas on both sides of the wall. So now (laughs) we went from like beyond the wall to you're now inside the wall and outside the wall, which is the problem. And the powerful Yuan or Mongol dynasty, which was 1206 to 1368, then established by Genghis Khan, eventually controlled all of China and parts of Asia and sections of Europe, of course. And so now they have the wall, (laughs) which was originally supposed to protect everybody. Got it. Got it. So the Mongols didn't really care about the wall. Um, they obviously were able to go around it and it wasn't really a big problem for them to get in. And so as a military fortification, soldiers were just kind of assigned to man the wall to protect their merchants and travelers through it. But other than that, they didn't really care either. It was kind of like, well, we conquered it and you had this wall, what little it did for you. Right. (laughs) Because we're here. Um, And so that's when we kind of move forward into um, kind of delving into the Ming Dynasty, which is truly what's kind of left of the final construction and reconstruction of the wall um, since then. So the Ming Dynasty was 1368 to 1644. And like the Mongols, the early Ming rulers had very little interest in building and fortifying the wall uh, appropriately. And it was very limited in terms of its building and repair before the late 15th century. In 1421, the Ming emperor proclaimed China's new capital, Beijing, on the site of the formal Mongol city of Dadu, And under this uh, Ming ruler, uh, the Chinese culture flourished and the period saw an immense amount of construction in addition to the Great Wall that included bridges, temples, and pagodas. The construction of the wall as it is known today then began around 1474, and after the initial phase of territorial expansion, Ming rulers took a large defensive stance and reforming and extending that wall to its key as a strategy. Uh, although, again, I, it's not even continuous, so... Yeah, <laughs> like, I don't we know. You just go around the wall. Yeah, that's what a lot of them did, <laughs> from right. what I understand. I also see that you have in here, and this is like a mild tangent, but it's cool that like the Silk Road, the very infamous Mm -hmm. trading route runs through the Great Wall. So it's like, I imagine (laughs) that people going through that route are probably like, wow, this is so impressive. We love this. We love a good wall. wall. Yeah. I mean, at the time, you know. Yeah, but also as they're walking through it. <laughs> right. You yeah. know what I mean? So it's like, okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> so impressive. We're just going to jaunty on in. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah, it's very interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so the Ming Wall extended from the Yalu River um, in what was the Liaoning province, which was the eastern bank of the Tao Lai River in the Gansu province. I'm going to let you guys look at a map and figure out where all that is visually, because mm-hmm. uh, I couldn't tell you. 
And essentially there were six passes um, around heavily garrisoned areas of the wall during the Ming period. And they were considered vital defense for the capital. Um, and they were reconstructed and refurbished to provide that role during the time. Okay. Because there was a lot of people coming in and out, obviously. Right. Overall, though, the significance of the wall um, is kind of where, I mean, outside of just the construction feat, like, even though it's not continuous, it is huge. And it it did surpass multiple dynasties, even though the entirety of it wasn't addressed and, like, refurbished. But it is a really big wonder of the world. And in the mid-17th century, the Manchus from central and southern Manchuria broke through the Great Wall again, (laughs) encroached on Beijing. So again, we're running through it, eventually causing the fall of the Ming Dynasty in the beginning of the Qing Dynasty. So we're also seeing like these different dynasties kind of rising and falling because of the wall and then also not because of the wall it's like when they're taken over it's because the wall is being breached when they have a new dynasty start because their frontiers were expanded because they use the wall as a fortification like that's a positive and here again we have like oh your wall has been breached so nice wall right So it's just like this back and forth. But between the 18th and 20th centuries, the Great Wall would emerge as the most common emblem of China for the Western world and a symbol for both physical as a manifestation of Chinese strength and a psychological representation of the barrier maintained by the Chinese state, repelling foreign influences and exerting control over its citizens. Kind of. (laughs) Right. So you take that with a grain of salt. (laughs) Right. Because Manchuria literally broke through it again. (laughs) 17th century. Uh, Today, obviously, it's generally recognized as one of the most impressive architectural feats in human history. In 1987, the UNESCO, which is U-N-E-S-C-O, designated the Great Wall of World Heritage Site as a popular claim emerged in the 20th century that is is the only man-made structure visible visible from space. Um, That's not true. I would also like to just state, I'm just going to go ahead and break that myth right away. It is not visible from space. Um, But over the years, roadways have been cut through the wall at various points. Many have obviously deteriorated because like I said, not every dynasty took it as a priority. And then even if they did, it was only certain sections of the wall. Keep in mind too, like even though a lot of this was slave labor, unfortunately, it was still a very massive both in size materials but finances to maintain this mm, as well mm-hmm. so depending Similar on to the pyramids i think oh, too. right so depending on what dynasty you're in what fight you were in whether the wall had been breached at all during that time you probably didn't always have reliable funds and resources to maintain it anyway right so you know it was huge but big doesn't always mean better because now you have to maintain all of that uh, the best-known section of the Great Wall, though, um, is the Badaling, located 43 miles or 70 kilometers northwest of Beijing, and this was rebuilt in the late 1950s, and this is the area that attracts most of the tourism today, 
Okay. So when you go see the Great Wall, that's more than likely the parts that you're going to visit. I mean, <clears throat> let's see. How and so how long is you'll probably get to this? Go yeah. Ahead. So I it does it. right. So it does have a total length. So if you put all of the individual sections together of the wall that were ever constructed, it adds up to about over 21,000 kilometers, which is over 13,000 miles, including overlapping sections that were rebuilt. So it is huge. Like, if you were to string it back to back, that's 13,000 miles of wall. Yeah. However, (laughs) with 13,000 miles of wall, again, we're talking about repair, but also who's manning that? Like right. who, how many right. soldiers like, do you how? have? <laughs> right. No, exactly. Exactly. Makes, when you put it in perspective, it makes perfect sense how some of it was breached so effectively. <laughs> they need like a wall border patrol. <laughs> they do. <laughs> That's a lot, right? Uh, the wall was constructed, like I said, during that Ming dynasty area. So there are very well-preserved sections from that dynasty and then again in the 1950s when they refurbished that Mm -hmm. other um like 70 kilometer uh uh, section but from the ming dynasty exclusively the well-preserved section from that was is about 8800 kilometers or about 54,000 miles long so which is longer than the length of the united states just putting that like if you're That's going from east coast if you're going from east coast to west coast it's longer yeah. than that cuz it's only 3000ish miles from like east coast to west coast so it's so longer great, than that it's a great perspective um so yeah you know it i think when we're thinking in terms of overall like work that did go into it and just like the tumultuous like back and forth between invaders and like success and like strong dynasties and like mm-hmm. dynasties that fell instantly like it's amazing that this thing still stands at all <laughs> to <fair>. this day <laughs> yeah it was quality constructed and yeah preserved i guess <clears throat> yeah so if you're going to visit yeah then you're going to that like 54,000 right or not 54,000 five 5,400. Yes. Area. Area. Right. Yeah. Okay. For the most part, um, I would say if you're a tourist and you take a tour, that's probably where you'll end up. Okay. Yeah. Now in the second half, we are going to talk a little bit more about that degradation because I feel like people don't like, it's obviously like we've talked about a wonder of the world and it is massive and crazily constructed, but with time, comes damage and it's important uh, to kind of understand what's going on with the wall today um so we'll talk about that in the second half sounds good we spend a lot of time joking about our mediocrity and how we can't believe people actually listen to our pods and join our lives despite that the truth is we are so thankful to have our little community and we want to send our special thanks to all you mcp fam members for continuing to stick with us every episode it does not go unnoticed it might be cheesy and a little cliche but we truly want to thank you for listening to our pods and engaging with our content as we slowly grow our platforms so from us over here at mediocre content podcast thank thank you. you Now, enough of this mushy stuff. Let's get back to the pod. Welcome back, everybody. 
so like I said before the break, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, its current state. So if you do go visit, we've already discussed, you're going to see the refurbished version. Um, but there is quite a bit of damage that the wall has sustained, even in that refurbished area, um, obviously over time. Uh, because that's just what happens and plus the wall is outside so it's not even like it's protected by you know from the elements either <laughs> exactly yeah um that would be really hard to contain <laughs> inside <laughs> <laughs> indoors <laughs> spongebob for the win uh so the great wall obviously has about uh over two thousand years of history uh less than 10 percent of the total wall is conserved and preserved in any way shape or form damage in general um you have to understand that the current china uh houses the wall over about 15 provinces currently so that's just the way wow. that it's currently laid out yeah and um the the wall itself unfortunately um have completely disappeared outside of that one section within those other 15 provinces that have sections of the wall in it. Hmm. So unfortunately, uh, I'm assuming, I don't know if it's like, and this is maybe something for somebody that's better at like foreign or international governments. I don't know if those 15 provinces all kind of get to decide you know, whether money, time, or resources go to sections of the wall that are within mm -hmm. their province, mm -hmm. or if it's just China as a country in general that kind of governs the state of sections of the wall. But I have to imagine, depending on where these sections lie within provinces, it might be pretty difficult to maintain anyway. Yeah. And also, if you have a refurbished section, why would you go through and take all 13,000 miles under your belt to try and maintenance regularly? Like, you know. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Just for context there. What is damaging the wall? Uh, erosion is just the biggest one. It's outside like we talked about. So the wall was built across mountains, deserts, arid or humid depending on where it is uh, along the line. So it's really difficult to even protect the entirety of the wall from things like this. Some of it's even in the rural areas. So uh, additionally, the materials that it's made out of, it's just earth, lime, trees, <laughs> anything that was available to construct this wall. It's not, it's not like it was even made with materials to last. So at some point between rain, storms, natural disasters, anything, just people walking by it, which we'll talk about human influence as well, it's going to start taking layers away from that. Um, so that's just natural, unfortunately. And um, some of the wall sections in Gansu and Shanxi, I believe is how you pronounce the other one. Uh, mm -hmm. And in many other rural areas are just completely destroyed and you don't even recognize them as part of the wall because of the natural erosion that has taken place over time. Yeah. Uh, human influence, like I said, you got people 
constantly walking through a lot of the areas, lots of passages, and even the, the current tourist section, uh, you've got millions of visitors a year that go and, and see the wall, obviously, because it's a wonder of the world. So um, people are going to go uh, <laughs> with their animals if you live there, I guess. Apparently goats and cattle will graze on or near parts of the wall. So cool. That, <laughs> yeah, so that's great. Um, and so animals are causing bricks and other parts of the earth to just collapse entirely. <laughs> Wow. Uh, yeah. Uh, residents that live near it consider it their own benefit. So they will actually steal bricks and stones from the wall and build their own homes and structures and, uh, you know, areas to contain their animals. They will just take materials from the wall itself, uh, again, causing it to completely collapse. I mean, I kind of understand that in a way. Absolutely. Where it's like, I mean, the wall is. I, I live in China and it's China's wall. So therefore it's also my wall and oh, therefore right. I can, it's my materials to use. Right. No, I totally But it would also that. kind of be like going to Washington and taking a brick out of the, <laughs> like out of the white house or something and being like, this is also mine. My tax yeah. dollars paid for it. So, you know, I get it. <laughs> but also keep in mind again, in terms of scale compared to the white house. Right. Like, no, exactly. <laughs> I, I don't think, and this is why, you know, I don't know, um, you know, if the Chinese government is like, well, we don't really care about the wall and the provinces are like, well, right. I don't really care about the wall. But I have to imagine that the Great Wall generates a certain <clears throat> amount of tourism. Oh, yeah. That has like a financial impact on China. But I, I mean, so you would think that they would care at least about like a good section of it. And it might just be that one section that they refurbished, yeah. honestly. Yeah. I, I don't know how far down the wall that a lot of this is happening necessarily. Right. Um, but I have to imagine it could be parts of the wall that are very visibly deteriorating anyway. So it's like, well, is it even part of it at this point? Because right. yeah, 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 you yeah. wouldn't even recognize it as that. Exactly. There are apparently some protections um, just and this is from the Chinese government. So this is something that's mandated by them. But in 2006, the government did put um, uh, that there are certain provinces probably within the refurbished sections that should supply protection but obviously this is not all 15 provinces that the wall spans through uh, many popular sections are in that badaling uh mu Qianyu, and ju yangguan um, and again, those are areas that have already been restored. And then you would obviously want to protect because you've sunk money and time into them. Gotcha. And they are that yeah. tourist uh, attraction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But like in all the other sections, again, it's like whatever. They've There's graffiti. There's trash. People are stealing the bricks. It's right. generally not like a great place to hang out. Right. So outside of that one protection in the section they've already spent money on, like, what are they going to do? You know? Yeah, exactly. Um, also, wanted to clear this up because we mentioned it in the first section. But in the early 19th century, and this is unrelated to protections on the wall. I've skirted past that aggressively. Okay. okay. The immense scale of the wall had given rise to the rumor that via the naked eye, 
you could see the wall from the moon, from space, you could see the wall. And that has been a long-running rumor. It is invisible from space. (laughs) Essentially, they compare trying to see the wall from space as equivalent to seeing a hair from two miles away. Okay, I have two things to say. First thing (laughs) is that obviously you would take the most, like the fact that has to do with space (laughs) the most seriously. I would, I'm like protection of the wall. Right. Of the wall construction. Yeah, we don't care about that. We just want to make sure that everyone knows that space (laughs) has nothing to do with this. That's right. Leave space alone. And then the other thing is, is like, well, obviously, because it's not very tall. No. I mean, it's not like... (laughs) why why would you think that i mean the only reason i bring this up really truly so aggressively is because i remember there being videos of the world like the globe Uh and people talking about the great wall of china and like the wonders of the world and seeing them with this image of the globe and the great wall like coming out of the world no and I'm like, first of all, that would be massive. Okay. Yeah. That would be like you can't even <laughs> see the pyramids from space. And no. those are like really tall. Those are so big. And I was like, for that to be a thing, it would essentially have to be an entire continent on its side for you uh-huh. to see something that that colossal from space. I don't, I don't even think you can see the tallest building in the world from space. I don't think so either. And I think like... I think scale wise, you your brain would just explode trying to think about how big this thing would have to be for you to yeah. see it in space. You could well, okay, so let's talk about this. Yes. So because it is fifty five hundred miles long. Right. If you took it off of the earth and yes. like stretched it out into the atmosphere, then yeah. maybe. 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 But- not in its current state, not right. even in its prime, when all the sections were fully built out. Yeah. Would you be able to see it from space? Right. No, exactly. <laughs> so space, I'm very passionate about, but also scaling. <laughs> right. Very passionate about. Right. Perspective yeah. is everything. So you're so right. You cannot see the wall from space. And I just wanted to make that incredibly clear. (laughs) I appreciate that. That's good. Uh, And that's where I'm going to leave it. (laughs) Because I feel like that's the most important point of the entire podcast. If you remember nothing else, (laughs) it's that you cannot see the Great Wall of China from space. Honestly, I feel like that's the main takeaway. Because honestly, if you ask me right now, hey, what dynasty uh, were these sections made in? I just did the podcast. I couldn't tell you. Don't ask me any dates. Don't ask me any timelines. But what I can tell you, you ain't gonna see it from the moon. And this is this is how she is, everyone. I just want you to know that. <laughs> it's very authentically Kirsten me. Kirsten is very strong in certain areas, <laughs> one of which is space. Yes. And the other areas, we're just kind of getting through. We're just ignoring it. I do yeah. hope that this was at least, uh, I hope it put you back in high school world history class. I feel like you um, needed to go back there. And that's why I did this. <laughs> 
I think it goes very nicely with our Pyramid podcast. It does. And um, with a future one that you're doing, right? Yes. I have another one coming up for you next week. Um, and I'm just going to leave it as a surprise. You guys will see what it is next week. So exciting. Um, and otherwise, feel free to send us your guesses on what it's going to be. <laughs> yes. In an email. Uh, or you can send us questions, comments, concerns, or episode topic suggestions at mediocrecontentpodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram or TikTok at Mediocre Content Podcast or catch, catch up with us every other Thursday on Twitch. We are unsure if it's this Thursday or next Thursday, <laughs> but either way, next. it is a Thursday <laughs> um, at Mediocre Content Podcast on Twitch at 3 p.m. PST, 6 p.m. EST, or 11 p.m. BST. Don't forget to rate us five stars anywhere you listen to podcasts, and we will see you next week. Cheers! Cheers.